Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, big casting news from General Hospital. Emma Sams, who we last saw a glimpse of in 2020, but has been suffering from long COVID and has been unable to travel from England to Los Angeles to film, is heading back to the show in October. So when we had her on the podcast last year, she was still experiencing symptoms, and my heart really went out to her that she was just still so under the weather. Um, But now, great news, she's indeed returning, and I could not be more excited. First of all, I have such a soft spot for anyone who was on GH in the 80s, but I had a special affection for Holly. And it means more Robert Scorpio, which is always a plus for me. And also, hi, I just want this story to continue. So do I. So uh, first, I've been in touch with Emma, and she's genuinely and truly excited to get to pick up the dangling mystery of who is holding Holly captive. But she also like really wants to make it clear that she is still battling long COVID. And she's so appreciative to Frank Valentini, the executive producer of GH, for his willingness to accommodate these uh, ongoing health issues of hers. Um, and secondly, just to remind everyone of like where Holly's story left off, Robert got word in 2020 that his beloved ex-wife had died. But thanks to the magic of technology, the audience was let in on the secret that Holly was actually alive and being held hostage by a mystery captor. And that was uh, footage that Emma shot herself in her own guest room in England. You'll remember on our podcast, she said she hated the thought of Holly being trapped in her guest room forever. (laughs) Um, Now, I spoke with the show's head writers, Chris Van Etten and Dan O'Connor recently, and they, of course, are absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome Emma home to GH as well. Now, I just adore Emma, and it makes me so happy for Robert and Holly fans that their story will have another chapter. And to your point, if this means that Tristan Rogers will have a beefed up presence as Robert, then it's a win-win. I mean, October cannot come soon enough for me. Um, Now, some fun casting news from Bold and Beautiful. Alexis Pelzer, the daughter of Kimberlyn Brown, who plays Sheila, will appear on the soap as a woman at Il Giardino, where Sheila works. Um, Alexis says she was with her mother at the daytime Emmys, and Casey, their supervising producer, mentioned there might be a place for her on the show, so keep your eyes peeled for Alexis. She said she loved the wardrobe and the work and, you know, seeing her mom in the limelight, and time will tell if she'll be back. 
In other news, Young and the Restless had to temporarily recast the role of Imani because her portrayer, Lee Ambrose, was unavailable to film, so Denise Boot will step in for her. Also on the temporary recast front, Robert Adamson, formerly YNR's Noah, will be briefly stepping back in for Chad Duell as GH's Michael. Uh, this time around, it's for two episodes, but he will air again in this coming week. Uh, I don't envy these temporary recasts. You know, daytime is not an easy gig under any circumstances, but especially coming onto a show for just a few days to play an established character. The degree of difficulty there is incredibly high. I'm sure Denise will do a lovely job on YNR, and I've heard, you know, nothing but good things about what a pleasure Robert has been to work with at GH. And speaking of GH, GH fans can expect a very jam-packed week of drama ahead. We are going to see Spencer reeling from the reveal of Nicholas's affair with uh, Esme, and we are also going to see Max start to question if there's a possibility that he might be Cody's father. I know that's something a lot of fans uh, thought might be on the table when Dominique was revealed to be Cody's mother. As longtime fans recall, Mac was involved with Dominique before she married Scotty. But I'm so used to the show giving Scotty surprise sons uh, that Mac would be an interesting twist. Oh, it definitely would. Like, let's spread the wealth. Mm -hmm. um, now, our guest today also has ties to General Hospital, but actually has announced her departure from daytime. It's Rena Sofer, who will last air as Bold and Beautiful's Quinn on August 29th. So let's get her on the line and find out why she chose to go. Hi, Rena. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, obviously, we have a lot to talk about, and we need to begin with the news that sent shockwaves through the soap world last week. Uh, you announced that you had ended your run as Bold and Beautiful's Quinn after nine action-packed years, and you will last air next week on August 29th. So tell us when you made the decision to leave and what went into that thinking. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it so much. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that um, I wasn't quite expecting people to care very much. <laughs> I was leaving the show. I figured some of the fans would care, but um, it was, uh, it was quite an interesting last day, but what really went into the, the idea of leaving is um you know, it was a real decision for me to go back to daytime, um, especially after playing a character like Lois on General Hospital. There's really no way to live up to uh, that kind of a character. Um, and um, to go back to a show and not be able to play something like that um, was was a real thought process. Um, and I was really lucky that um, Brad Bell uh, gave me the opportunity to create a character and, you know, me being, you know, I say pain in the ass. Am I allowed to say ass? I say pain in the ass um, because, you know, women are always seen as a pain in the ass if they don't just sit there and take what's given to them. But I was a real pain in the ass when it came to playing Quinn because, you know, I didn't want to play a gold digger. I didn't, you know, those those characters live in a corner. There's if money's your only option, there's really no way out. I really wanted her to have a lot of depth. And so I would, you know, fight every day to recreate, you know, what was, what was being kind of written in order to help create this character. Um, and so uh, I was really fortunate to play Quinn and she was wonderful, but I was kind of walking away from a, a well-established nighttime career um, at the time that I joined the Bold and the Beautiful. 
um, my daughter, uh, Avalon, um, was uh, eight, I think, at the time. And, um, you know, she was just in that age where um, all the work in Los Angeles was drying up. It was moving out of California and um, I really couldn't travel as much as I used to be able to travel. And my husband um, just he, he would get a job and be like, I have to go. And he'd leave for like three and a half weeks or so. And so the question was, who raises your child? Do you have a nanny or do I pull her and take her with me and really not afford her the opportunity to have a stable home life? So when the option of joining the Bold and the Beautiful came up and Brad offered me the role, it was really, um, that was really the thought process behind it that I, I know, I know the scheduling of, of daytime. It's, it's more of a, you know, Monday through Friday, sometimes nine to five, as you know, it's earlier and sometimes it goes later, um, kind of schedule where I could, I could be there for her. And so that's really what, played into my decision to walk away from the nighttime career that I had, you know, I had built after general hospital to go back to daytime. And, and I don't regret that at all. I mean, daytime is an incredible place for so many actors to, you know, have so many different options, whether they want to have businesses that they want to run on top of, you know, um, being a, an actor or, you know, moms who want to have normal lives in a, stable place to go. And so I, I made that decision, but it was kind of always in the back of my mind that when she got into her senior year of high school, that would be a really good time for me to leave and to really, you know, go back to my life um, and making my life a priority. Um, even though she's still my priority this year, but she's a car and she drives and, you know, she's got an incredibly full social life. So she's not one of these kids who, you know, needs me on a daily, daily, daily basis um, um, where I, I can't go somewhere now and do something. So I really wanted that opportunity to go back out there and, and um, give the other parts of our career an option. So um, that's really what played into that. And also, I think, um, you know, the bold and the beautiful is, um, is really a, a show that, um, focuses on, uh, Brooke and Steffi. And it's sometimes hard to be in a, in a show that, that your character's not always going to be, um, prioritized and you don't have the ability to make it a priority. And um, which is kind of the case on every soap opera, by the way, because I had that issue on General Hospital. You know, Lois was like this firecracker for a little over two years. And then she was happy with Ned. And it was like, well, what am I going to do? And she was such a good person that she wasn't going to get in, into a lot of trouble. So Lois became this person who was always helping Brenda with her issues and everything. And it, it just gets stale. You just, you want to shine and you want to be, you know, the best that that character can be. And sometimes that's the heartbreak that I've always experienced with daytime is, you know, you want that character to be something more than kind of what the people who run it see that character as. So I didn't really want to spend any more years, 
you know, waiting for me to get into my son's love life or, you know, accuse Brooke of being a terrible person again, you know? So, um, so that kind of just all played into the idea of leaving. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity in all those years to be a part of the show and part of the history of that show and uh, be able to be there for my daughter every single day. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you like let the show know of your decision and what was the reaction that you got? So, um, so they reached out to me um, kind of before uh, we went on hiatus in July. Um, my contract had already expired in May and I had not um, really heard from anyone. And then um, on the week before my last shooting week is when they reached out to me and said, hey, we don't really know what's going on with Quinn, but can you stay on as a recurring basis until we figure it out? And I just felt like if my decision wasn't set at that point, that kind of made it clear um, that they just didn't know what to do with Quinn. And I felt like I... um, deserved more than just sitting around until they figured it out. Um, so especially, um, at the end of, um, you know, at the end of, uh, the whole, uh, quarter story, there was still so much to do. You know, I still wasn't divorced from Eric and, uh, Donna was still, you know, in, in the mix of that. And, um, So I, I just felt like, you know, it was time to go. So I told him I was leaving and then Brad called me and he really wanted me to stay. And, and I really appreciated the fact that he wanted me to stay, but my last day was Friday. And on that Friday, you know, they stopped after my last scene and, um, uh, they had cupcakes and gifts and flowers and speeches. And it was just, I really wasn't expecting it. I really, really, really didn't think um, that particular group was going to care that I left. I was pretty sure that they were going to be like, oh, thank God she's leaving. But no, they were really um, kind to me and, and, and it made me feel so good. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, that's, that's kind of how they figured it out. Mm-hmm. Well, how did your castmates react to you leaving? Like, did they know that it was something you were planning or were they taken by surprise? Um, I haven't even spoken to so many of them, even to this day, um, uh, you know, but um, the few that I'm close with, um, they knew, they knew that that was kind of the plan. Um, they knew it was what I was thinking of and they've all been really supportive mm-hmm. of me making this decision. Well, it sounds like there was like a lot of love given and received on that last day. So uh, how did, you know, when they stopped taping, what happened? Were you completely taken by surprise when they were like, now we're going to give some speeches or I know you had brought some gifts. So you were aware, obviously, that it was your last day and that you planned to do a presentation. So just walk us through the whole experience. Well, I didn't give the gifts in front of people. And one of the reasons that I didn't do that is because I didn't, first of all, I wasn't able to make something for every single person. And, and I didn't really want to just be like, here's a ceramic, here's a ceramic, here's a ceramic, like Oprah, you know, you get ceramics, you get ceramics, everybody gets ceramics. Um, I, I really wanted to make specific things for specific people that, that really, um, it's not just about the people that work there all the time and that, you know, I would be like, Hey, how's it going? 
Um, it was really about the people that um, kind of rooted for me or um, really helped me through the years, really um, supported my journey on the show. And it was those people that I really wanted to say thank you to. And, and, and over the years, by the way, over the last couple of years, like Annika had already gotten something from me, Scott Clifton had already gotten something from me and, you know, and Torsten, by the way, gets everything from me. Like whenever I make a prototype of something, you know, or he'll be like, you know, what you should make, you should make a honeypot. And then I make a honeypot. I'd be like, here's your honeypot. I made one. And then I'd make more. Um, but it was, you know, you know, certain people on the show, I've made them mugs. Um, a lot of them, I made mugs before I actually really started making like good mugs. Um, uh, but, um, uh, I just, I, I kind of quietly went to those people and, um, made some, something special for them, um, and gave it to them. But when they stopped the tape, I, I knew what was going on. Cause I could see, um, something, um, but it was still one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, I, I don't know. I don't know how to handle this. <laughs> um, but I really, you know, it's those things that, that you figure out when you're on an older, um, when you're older and you've, you've lived a long life to allow somebody to celebrate you. And, um, I'm not comfortable with being celebrated. And, and I just decided, no, I've put in nine years here and I'm going to allow myself to be celebrated. And, and, um, and, uh, and my, my great goal at the end of the whole, uh, conversation is that Lawrence St. Victor was going to get a dressing room because dressing rooms are by seniority. He's been there longer than I have, and he still doesn't have his own dressing room, which I think is wrong. And so, um, that's kind of what I made the, <laughs> the last part of my speech about. I have a drink. You have a dressing room now. How about Lawrence gets it? Wouldn't that be great? So nice. Yeah. Love it. Um, now you got to take home Quinn's sketchbook. So was that a special request you made or were you surprised by that as a part? No, of that was a Cindy pop surprise. She, she handed it to me. It was just one of those things where anytime as a character, as the character of Quinn, I needed to be doing something, you know, they always were like, here, we'll give you files. And I'm like, what does Quinn need files for? She needs a sketchbook. So that sketchbook is full of like lines, words that I couldn't remember you know, sketches of things that I'm a terrible, terrible artist, like uh, drawing artist. So full of terrible, terrible designs. Um, <laughs> but it was such a lovely, lovely gift. So yeah, it was nice. Is there anything else, uh, like any other object that you associate with Quinn that would have been a nice keepsake or was the sketchbook really the quintessential Quinn thing? I mean, I guess the only other option would have been that painting of Quinn, yeah. you know, but, um, I don't think that was an option. Um, but, um, and I probably wouldn't like it anyway, but, um, <laughs> no, that was it. I mean, you know, um, that, that was all that I, uh, that I took. Mm -hmm. That's all I needed. Um, so what was it like when you walked out of the building that day, knowing that you were saying goodbye to a nine year job? Um, it's interesting because I walked out of there after this whole celebration. Um, I had like a gazillion flowers to take with me. And um, I really, I really knew that I wasn't going to be able to process what happened because it was my daughter's 17th birthday. And I was rushing to go to her. My husband and I, um, I call it my husband, but my husband and I were taking her to 
um, uh, go-karting for her birthday. And then we had dinner that night and then she had a whole big party the next day. And I just knew that it wouldn't even, it wasn't even going to be until Sunday night that I could even like breathe for a second. And I just knew that, that it was going to, it was going to take a while. So it's still processing. I mean, it's still this experience of, um, you know, how do I feel about all this? I still haven't fully processed it because life took over and, and so many things started happening. I mean, I, I, I've auditioned more in the last two weeks than I've auditioned in nine years. Wow. So it's been, it's been really kind of exciting and interesting. Wow. Uh, now, when you do look back on that nine years in Quinn's uh, heels, uh, is, is there a period of time in Quinn's life that stands out to you as just the most fun for you creatively to play? There are, there are three aspects of the nine years that I think were the best. The first is torturing Liam. Mm -hmm. The torture of Liam was the first kind of Quinn experience um, that I think was just so much fun to play, locking him in the steam room, you know, making him feel like he had a stalker, you know, all that stuff. That was all, you know, the whole Adam and Eve storyline, like that whole thing with Liam was really, really fun to play. Um, the next aspect of the fun was when Quinn and Eric um, first got together from the moment in her crappy apartment uh, or room or whatever that was, um, running her hand up some guy's leg and down to find it was Eric um, to, uh, to their wedding that nobody showed up for and everybody was supposed to. That to me was... Um, when I think back on my time on the show, um, I think the, the times that stand out the most are Adam and Eve, the wedding and then Carter, you know, and really, um, I think the, the, the final greatness of Quinn was having this relationship with this man who's literally been there and married her. How many times, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that was, that was really the culmination of it all. And really to, you know, and I, I, I will say this over and over again. Um, the, the fact that I was able to be a part of, um, the storyline that got John McCook an Emmy award finally, was such an honor for me to be a part of it. I know that's not about me and I'm not trying to make it about me, but, but I got to be a part of that story. That's the reason, you know, um, he played that story is our storyline. And the fact that I got to be a part of showing the bold and the beautiful and all of the fans out there, what a leading man Carter is, you know, Lawrence St. Victor is that to me also is, um, I feel better about that than I feel about anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you're talking to two big fans of his here. We will absolutely get to him. Um, but first, is there anything you feel like you didn't get to do as Quinn or someone you would have wanted to work with more than you did? I think I would have liked to have worked more with Torsten. Um, that would have, I love working with Torsten and he's one of my favorite people on the show. Yeah. And, um, and I think there was a lot more story to tell there 
Um, you know, even if it never, I, I would have loved to have played the story where you, you, you would root for them to be together, but they never end up together kind of a story. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that, that, you know, in, in real life, uh, Ridge and Quinn actually would be friends mm -hmm. in a, in a, you know, you know, in a camaraderie kind of way. Um, cause I think he would, you know, his wife is kind of this, you know, crying, you know, character who, you know, is also very strong, but always in need. Whereas Quinn just never seems to need anyone or anything. Um, I think the thing that I would have loved to explore more is Quinn's past because they alluded to the fact that she had a terrible mother, um, they alluded to the fact that she was treated really badly by her mother's boyfriends. And I felt like that was a story that could have been explored. Um, and um, it would have been interesting to, to, to see why Quinn became who she is. And also once they brought um, Denise on, why did she run away from Vegas? And it would have been exciting to have some six month long character to come in and terrorize her and, and, and um, Shauna um, and see Quinn in a completely, you know, different way. So I would have liked to have explored that more. Mm -hmm. I know. I think what happened in Vegas really stayed in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, it did. Devastating. Um, you know, when anyone uh, leaves Soap Opera Digest and we have a goodbye party for them, Steph always asks, what will you miss and what will you not miss? So when you think about uh, playing Quinn or being at B&B, what will you miss and what will you not miss? Well, I'm going to miss the clothes because I loved, most of the time, I loved Quinn's wardrobe. And I always tried to, you know, it was such a pain in the ass to Glenda when she was there because I always wanted to change her wardrobe when her life changed. So when she first got on the show, she was Barry Helmut Lang. But then when she lost everything, I didn't want her to have you know, nice clothes because I didn't want her showing up because she was broke. She was living in the shitty apartment. So why should she have nice clothes? And then when she was married to Eric, I wanted her to like kind of take on the queen of the manor clothes and everything. So I'm going to miss the clothes. That's for sure. And the paycheck. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> but um, what will I not miss? I think I'll not miss having to learn. They, you know, once I've proven that I could speak, I could say, I, you know, I, I was really good at learning my lines and doing it all in one take. And that just took days. You know, I would work for days on my lines. Um, I was kind of, a, again, a pain in the ass with the other actors that I worked with. I do not like it when you go up on your lines. Um, it just shows me that you didn't do the work. You know, you, you walked in that day and, and, you know, if you're, you know, Scott, Scott Clifton's really, really good at learning his lines pretty much on the day. Um, and not going up. Um, but not everybody is like that. And when you just go up and you go up, you, you stop the flow of this scene that you only really get to do one time and it bothers me. Um, so I think sitting up and just sitting, sometimes I would sit and look at the two, three episodes of just Quinn just spoke and she just speeched. She was a speecher. You know, she speeched and speeched and speeched and speeched and speeched and people would be like, but, and I'd be like, no, wait. And then I'd go on for another page and a half. I think that is what I will not miss. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you were amazing doing it. Um, now, the lead up year or so to your exit had some pretty significant story developments going on for Quinn. Uh, so let's start with what we have talked about a little bit, the surprise attraction and affair that developed between Quinn and Carter. So why do you think that the audience got so behind the quarter romance? Because I think it was a surprise to all of us. I mean, it's interesting because I looked at Lawrence when we got this story and I think it was just meant to be. She cheats on on Eric, but it all goes away in like a matter of a week or so. But um, I just looked at him and I said, we have an opportunity to make something out of this. If nothing else, then then he getting to do scenes that aren't about falling in love with somebody else's girlfriend for the first time. You know, he's not marrying somebody. He's not burying somebody. He's not suing somebody. And he's not falling in love with somebody else's. I mean, you know, because in the beginning, it wasn't him falling in love with me. It was just him being my friend and me being his friend and helping him figure something out. And I so we would sit in my dressing room um, and uh, because I'm the only one who had an actual dressing room um, and we would sit in my dressing room and we would work on the scenes and we'd just go, how do we find moments in this scene that tell a different story or that, you know, like if they want us to be friends, how do we find our moments to be friends? And that's the fun. I mean, whenever I say anything to people who say, I want to be on a soap opera or what soap opera work like, it's like, you can't walk into a soap opera and just do what they tell you and do what's on the page. If you don't work at creating your own story and your own person, then you're not doing the work, you know, and, and you have to be consistent. You know, if this is who your character is, say the words that they want you to say, say them differently. I mean, I was the queen of saying what they wrote for me to say in a completely different way so that the writers ended up having to write for what I was playing. So obviously, um, as we mentioned, there was a lot of like really great work being done across the board in the uh, story of Eric's ED, uh, one Emmy-winning performance included. Um, but I've got to know, was it ever hard to keep a straight face, even if it was just during rehearsal, from all the like double entendres that this, and the creative talking around that the scripts, uh, you know, required? That was definitely hard. Um, and, and I I can't tell you how many times I have to say it's so hard what Eric is going through. Lawrence would look at me and go, well, maybe not hard. No. Um, uh, Yeah. I think it was really difficult. And I think it was a really brave storyline for a man to play. I mean, my God, it just was the, the, the ickiness of the, you know, um, a husband talking the wife into having sex with his employee, you know, and then the, the racial aspects that, that were also added into that were, were, I think, really almost more difficult for us to play um, than that. And I understood where, you know, the writers were going, where they really wanted Eric to be seen as this such a kind man that he wanted his wife to not give up that sexual aspect of her life. Um, but 
the just the moral and political implications of that were really difficult for us to play. And I thought the more interesting story was showing that Quinn, because Quinn loved Eric. She loved Eric. She would have given up sex for the rest of her life. And by the way, there's other things to do. True. And I really, you know, I, I really wanted to be able to play all of that as well. And um, so that was a really, that was, you know, we definitely had a few laughs, but it was really more, more of a difficult story. It wasn't my, it wasn't, even though it was great for John, it wasn't my favorite story to play. That's for sure. Well, they did have Quinn and Eric reunite for a time, then called it quits when she caught him in bed with Donna. So you and John McCook were just so terrific in those scenes. In fact, got Performer of the Week from Soap Opera Digest for your work, um, which was funny and sad and poignant and dramatic and everything in between. So what do you remember about preparing for those scenes and shooting them? And did you guys work out sort of the nuances of their performance or did they happen while you were filming? No, I mean, the way it was written was he said, I'm in love with Donna and she's like, what? And he's like, but you should be with Carter. And she's like, okay. And I was like, I was like, wait a second. There's, there's a lot going on here. Quinn and Eric break up in one episode. She walks in, sees Donna end of one episode. And then Donna's still there. And by the time Quinn leaves, that's one episode. And I'm like, okay, how do we, how do we respect this story in one episode? And that's how, you know, John and I really, you know, first I, I reach out to Brad and the writers and, and, and then, um, and then I just talked to John and I just said, you know, let's, let's make this, let's, let's find the moments where, you know, I, I think what we decided is what was best is for him to take responsibility for what he did that was wrong, but say, and I said, you know, I think what we had figured out is there was a scene we had done where I was worried about Carter um, and him making a decision that's going to destroy his life if he marries uh, um, uh, Diamond's character. Harris. And, and, uh, and, and I said, why don't we use that moment um, to have made you understand that I'm not, it's, it's not that you're mad at me for uh, cheating on you with Carter. It's that I fell in love with Carter and that's something you could never get over. And, um, and so that's, that's how that scene played out. And, and for him to say, I understand that I did something wrong because in the beginning he took no responsibility and she was like, Oh, that's fine. But I, I said, if we, if we turn this into, I realized you were in love with him. And what you now need to do is be with him before he does make that mistake. That gives us the reason why this ends in an episode and you move us along. And it was always the point. And they always wrote that I left in that episode. It was just the way it happened. And that's kind of the story I tell people who want to be on soaps. It's like, you know, it's written that way, but how do you make it using their words or asking them if you can change just a few things here and there, but keeping the the set story, how do you make it work for your character and give it depth? Mm-hmm. You know, well, well the, import- the important thing is that she got to keep the ring. Yeah. <laughs> no, they said that they go, they, they go and, and she hands the ring and I go, I'm, I'm sorry. 
can we ask Brad if I can keep the ring? Because A, she's a jewelry designer, but B, it's a big diamond. You never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On that stuff. She's not going back to that one room. Uh, you know, no, she'll go yeah, back yeah, to yeah. Vegas. Um, okay, so uh, the, the, the Quinn-Eric split quickly paved the way for Quinn to stop Carter from marrying Paris. But first she had to get there, which involved uh, some shooting on location and some bike riding. So tell us what you remember about uh, that location shoot. Well, it was the best because I got to bring my dog with me to set. So because we were at the beach and so I brought Bear or well, San- my, Sandy brought Bear and uh, I brought Princess and um, she was the star of the entire day. Um, but um, uh, we it was it was just, you know, you're down in Santa Monica on the beach for the day riding a bike. <laughs> I mean, it was great. <laughs> it was so great to get out of the studio and have that day of just hanging out and having fun. And, um, and, you know, we wanted it to be funny. So she watched her deteriorate slowly, but surely as, as it goes along. Um, but it was fun. It was really, it was really fun. And, uh, you know, and then, um, and, and that was great. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So during your B&B career, you also got to shoot in some pretty glamorous international locations, including Monte Carlo and Australia. So what are your favorite memories of those trips when you weren't working? Oh, oh, Australia was amazing. I mean, from the flight out there, Qantas treated us like royalty. Um, being there in my two favorite cities, uh, Melbourne and, uh, and Sydney, um, my old nanny lives in Sydney. So I got to see him again, which, you know, he's halfway around the world. So I never get to see him. Um, and, uh, um, I just remember the entire cast, uh, tanning in Jackie's room. She had somebody come and spray tan. And so every one of us spray tanned, which was hilarious and with the best pictures of it. Um, and Monte Carlo was just, it was my first time. So the whole experience of, you know, going to the palace and meeting the, the prince and blah, blah, blah. It was just, it was incredible. It was just all, uh, kind of a, a dream come true, you know? And, and during that whole time, uh, it was when I was, uh, divorced from my husband. So I was kind of this single gal in these two crazy places, which by the way, I did absolutely nothing single gal ish. Um, <laughs> but just the whole idea of it was fun, but you I, could have. I didn't, exactly. didn't take advantage of that. <laughs> Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Um, okay, well, back when you played um, Lois on GH, you also did some really memorable, like, on-location work. Uh, Coney Island, uh, Ned and Lois's wedding, mere blocks from, from me in Brooklyn, the big Ricky Martin concert in Puerto Rico. Like, what are your standout memories of uh, those trips? Do you want to know what's so funny? Yes. We were watching Only Murders in the Building. And second season and one episode takes place at um, Coney Island. And um, I was telling my daughter how the very first time I ever rode a roller coaster was the cyclone at Coney Island. And it's actually on camera because what they shot of of Lois on the cyclone is me for the first time. And you can see the fear in my eyes. And once we go down that first thing and it's so fun, you can see the look on my face going, Oh my God, this was amazing. So I played it for her and it was so, you know, 
and there's this whole scene of Lois and Ned where Lois is just like, listen, I just want you to know I have $775.43 in my bank account. And I just want you to know that I trust you and we're married now, but we need to assign some sort of agreement that when and if, God forbid, anything happens, I get my $743.83 back. Because, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, you're after me. He, Ned's like, do you think I married you for your money? And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to be like honest with you. You know, I'm just trying to be upfront. Um, you know, of course, little does she know, but I'm, there's this whole, and we're out in Coney Island and I'm wearing this ridiculous jacket with this ridiculous white dress and blah, blah. And it was just like, I, I, it's, it's one of the first times it's, it's one of the first times I've ever shown my, my daughter and, and Sandy, uh, scenes from me doing soap operas where, it wasn't like soapy. It was, it was just like awesome, fun character work. And I had all these stories behind it and, oh my God, I just, just loved, you know, I used to say, um, Lois is who I want to be when I grow up because she just was the best human that, you know, I mean, she just is an anomaly for soap operas where she just kind of walked in being who she was. And it was amazing. I just loved, loved playing her so much. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you can channel the voice like so well today. Um, so I, know, I might've left my body when you did it. <laughs> oh, well, it was easy because I just watched it. <laughs> well, you did hint in your digest exit interview that you would, you would be open to potentially slipping back into Lois fingernails if the stars aligned. Um, and then online people very much reacted to that with, I hope she comes back. So what does it mean to you that this role that you played 25 years ago made such a strong impression on viewers? that there's still a genuine love for the character and enthusiasm at the prospect that you could possibly one day play her again. I love the fact that she, that she, I did such a good job. She wasn't able to be recreated by anybody successfully. So nothing, you know, against Leslie K, but I, I, I love the fact that, you know, she was, she was very much part of my DNA. There was something about Lois when I sat down with Mark Teshner and we had dinner and he hands me this set of sides and he goes, just read it with me. And I'm like, well, do you, do you want me to do an accent? And he's like, can you do an accent? I'm like, yeah, I can do an accent. And it was just like, she just, it was like, she was this, uh, 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 golden light that was glowing inside of me. That was like, Oh, I can do this. I love the fact that the fans love her. I, I mean, it's been 26 years since I've been on general hospital. The truth is I have absolutely no idea if there's room, there's space, there's story for a character like Lois. I would never want to go back onto general hospital and serve coffee as Lois. That's not going to happen. Um, and I don't want to be, um, you know, anywhere for years and years again. Um, it was, it's really more a matter of, you know, um, if there was need for me and, and something really fun for me to do and, and just really come back, but, but also be able to have the freedom to be her, you know, I don't want to come back and just be some actress doing an accent. It's gotta be Lois, you know, there's gotta be all those things about her, you know, her, ADD and, and her, you know, you know, math 
issues and all, I mean, just everything about her and her morality, you know, it would be, it would be great, you know, and it would be even better if her mom came back with her too. That would be the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, her daughter, uh, played by the lovely Amanda Sutton could certainly use, I think some, some, uh, maternal guidance. So I'm going to keep on hoping that we see it at some point. Um, well, speaking of daughters, though, your last day on B&B, as you mentioned, was your younger daughter, Avalon's uh, 17th birthday. So what are you looking forward to and what are you not looking forward to as you think about her going off to college and, you know, the empty nest of it all? Well, listen, I get a lot of crap for this, right? Um, I miss my older daughters, Megan and Rosabelle. Megan lives in Iowa. Rosabelle lives in Pittsburgh. Um, they have both moved on with their lives. They are both, you know, Megan just got engaged. Rosabelle's living with her, you know, boyfriend and she's in her last year of her master's degree. And she's just, I mean, they're, they're just two amazing women and I'm so proud of who they are. Um, Avalon is, I'm really looking forward to the whole process of applying for college to be over because (laughs) it is hell. Um, especially, you know, Rosabelle applied to two colleges, Avalon's applying to like 10 and, um, she's brilliant. She's, you know, the kid who should go to any school she wants to, and that doesn't matter anymore. And that's kind of scary for her. And it's scary for all of us. And you just, you don't want to see your child's hopes get up and then go down and get dashed. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to that being over, which is like January, Um, but I'm really looking forward to waking up every day and going, what do I want to do? You know, and I'm starting to move into that, but you've got to realize all three of my daughters are 10 years apart. I met Megan when she was eight and Rosabelle is 20, almost 26. She's 25 and Avalon is 17. I have been mom for so long that. I really am excited for the prospect of my life being, you know, me. And it's not that I want them to leave and it's not that I don't want to be a mom. You're always a mom. It's just, what's it going to be like when I don't have, you know, when Sandy looks at me and says, let's go to Paris next month, you know, you know, I, my job ends and I can go and you don't have a job right now, you know, and it's like, okay. As opposed to, oh no, cause Avalon's in school and we need to do that. And it's like, it's just very exciting. And, you know, and, you know, Sandy and I are trying to figure out where we want to live. Cause we don't have to live here anymore now that nothing is about where you live anymore. Thanks to zoom and all that stuff. But you know, we don't have to be where she needs to go to school. We can go anywhere. We can live from anywhere and work from anywhere. So there's something really exciting about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, another thing we wanted to bring up, uh, you know, we saw your post about the late Anne H who was auditioning for Another World at the same time you were at the very start of both of your acting careers. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, you know, what you remember about that day and what you remember about her. Oh God. I, I just remember, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember if I watched the other actors auditions because you can on their feed. Um, uh, I may have, but I may not have. Um, uh, but I remember it being my first screen test. I was really nervous about the whole prospect of, 
um, you know, getting a job like this and, you know, do I want to come out to Brooklyn every day? I lived in Jersey at the time. I mean, oh, it was a trip. And um, but I remember once I got on the show and I started watching her work, I just I felt like such a child uh, compared to her and Sandy at the time, uh, Sandra Ferguson. Um, I just felt so young and, and really inexperienced and not quite ready to be on this particular show or playing these particular characters. Um, and when you look at Rocky, who I eventually did play a few months later, um, she was so young. She was way more in tune to who I was at the time. Um, but I just remember, you know, when I was in that world, um, especially in New York, when you're around all of those actors and there were so many soaps at the time, um, we kind of had this like East Coast, West Coast pride kind of thing. And I just remember watching Anne's work and just thinking, oh my God, she's so much better than most of the people I'm watching on television. It's insane. Um, and then when I saw that she had passed and she was exactly my age, it just really struck me, you know? And I also, when I was, when I did an episode of Ellen, she and, and Ellen were together. And so I just remember being on the set and every time they'd be like, Ellen, Ann is on the phone. Everything stopped and dropped and Ellen would run to the phone, you know, the set phone, because this was before cell phones and all that stuff. So, Yeah. Crazy. It was crazy. And I'm, I mean, you know, and I got a lot of crap for what I posted because they're like, well, you know, she almost killed somebody and you know, she was drunk and you know, she was on drugs. And I'm like, you know what? This is not about that. And we live in such a world now where you do one thing wrong and that's all you're known for and you're demonized for it and you're cancel culture for it. And, you know, nobody's saying her driving drunk was wrong or, or under the influence or whatever was going on with her and the demons she was dealing with. I'm just celebrating a life of a person that I remember being, you know, 18 years old. And she was also 18 years old and we were standing on this set together. And, 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 and it struck me that we, you know, how different our lives move, you know, I mean, it's insane. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people will look at my career and say, you know, well, you, you're not as big a star or you're not on the cover of, you know, people magazine and, and all of these things and you're not doing movies and I'll go, I know, you know, but I'm, I'm an actress who has made a living as an actress for 35 years. That is not something you shake a stick at, you know? And, and it's just interesting how different our lives went and, and it just makes, it made me reflective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said, uh, at the start of our chat that, uh, you've done more auditions in the last few weeks than you'd done in many years prior. So, uh, we take it you're pursuing next acting projects, uh, along with, uh, all the other, the, the college applications you're overseeing, et cetera. I'm not seeing those. I'm not overseeing college applications. I'm just <laughs> living in this, the, the hell of it. The stress so ball of I'm it. I'm trying not to. I actually, you know, I just thought leaving the show, I was going to be able to like be in my studio in my garage and make all this ceramics. And, and by the way, when I put the post that I was leaving the show, I was like inundated with commissions and people buying stuff from the website, which I'm so grateful for because, you know, I, 
it's, it's not about money-making because if I wanted to make money, I would have stayed on the bold, and the beautiful, but it's about being able to make these things that I love to make. And, and, um, so that uh, I thought I would have more time to do that. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you have an audition. Oh, you have an audition. Oh, you have an audition. And we don't have to go anywhere now. We do it out of our home, but still I have to shower, which is, you know, it takes time, makeup, well, let's plug the website. It's Rena yeah. Sofer Ceramics, right? Rena Sofer Ceramics.com. And I, you know, I, people will commission me to make them something, but when they do, I'll tell you, you know, you gotta, you gotta tell me what you want and then let me go. You can't tell me what you want and tell me and make me like send you drawings and pictures. I can't do that. And I've had people doing that where I'm like, I, I, that's just not who I am. You either go, I want a vase in the shape of this. Can you do this? And this is my favorite color, or I want a mug that is, you know, this, you know, and can you put my name on it or whatever? Um, but, um, um, the one, the one aspect is, now people send me, uh, um, emails on my submissions for commission website and I don't respond to them. I actually just delete them because that's not where you send me hellos or you're going to miss me. So, uh, anybody out there hoping that I'm going to respond to your, you know, email about, I'm going to miss you. What is your next step? I'm not going to respond on that. You can do that on Instagram. Rena, I, I have to know now that you're not, you know, seeing him at work, is Torsten going to still get like a steady supply of ceramics? I'm concerned. I feel like when something new comes up or if he sends me something that says, oh my God, I absolutely love this. Or have you thought about making this? He'll probably end up getting it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you. Okay. Yeah. He's got a lot of my wooden pieces as well. I made him a beautiful, big cutting board and he's one of the only people that ever got any of that. Well, how did, you, how did you develop your skill here? Like, when did you know you could do this? You know what? When Sandy and I got divorced, I tried to be on the, well, you know, the, the apps and all of that. And I really, um, I really didn't want to date. I really, um, I so uncomfortable. I didn't want to tell my story over and over again the whole idea of having to explain like, you know, uh, my body and yeah. And children and all oh, that was a surgery. Like just, I just felt so uncomfortable around these men. Um, and I really, I think I went on five dates in two years and none of them lasted more than like two or three at the most. Um, and that's when I really decided, you know, the first thing that happened is I started, um, adopting dogs and then rescuing dogs. And then, um, and then, uh, I started doing woodworking. Uh, I joined a community wood shop that gave lessons and I started taking lessons and I started really getting into that. I bought a whole bunch of stuff for home, but my problem with woodworking is I cut myself all the time. I'm a big like I cut myself in life in general. I am the person who bumps into things and scrapes things and cuts things. And so cutting yourself when you're doing woodworking is actually really bad. Um, and I had cut myself really badly and I didn't know what to do. And I needed to give myself some time to rest my, my fingers and let them heal. And so I looked into taking a ceramics class. I don't know why. 
And that just became everything. Yeah. That became everything. Yeah. And, and I just realized, oh my God, I'm I'm actually, I'm actually good at this. Like I can make something. I can make things that I would look at other people making going, I can never do that. And I look at Rosabelle, who's brilliant. And, and I just wondered all the time, where did she get it from? It wasn't me. It must've skipped a generation. And then I realized, oh, it's just the art itself. And I can't draw at all like Roosevelt can, but just the ability to be able to do that is, I just, it's, it's every day. All I want to do is go into that garage and be dirty and, and get covered in clay and, and make something amazing. Before we let you go, Rena, we'd just love to give you the floor to speak directly like to your fans and fans of Quinn's. If there's anything you would like to say to them as you bring this B and B chapter of your life to a close. I think, you know, the whole machine and monster of daytime is, is moved and motivated by the fans without the fans were we wouldn't have survived. I mean, there's only four soap operas left. I started doing soap operas when they were just 13, you know, Ryan's hope was just on its way out. Um, and, um, it, 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 it was more of this world. And now it's just this tiny little thing that's barely chugging along. And the only thing that makes it chug along is the fans. And, um, if the fans all hated Quinn, Quinn would have never succeeded the way that she did. I wouldn't have had the impetus to move forward with, um, building on who I thought she was. So I just think I'm incredibly fortunate to have had the kind of career where people follow me from daytime to nighttime to daytime to nighttime and, um, and really enjoy watching me and, um, and want to follow me. And those same people who have gone to my website and seen the other work that I do and want to not just, you know, um, um, have a part of me in their home, but support me in this new venture, because without them, you know, I'm just making a mug. Um, um, so I just, I just want to say thank you to them because really the only reason why I'm on this podcast or was on the cover of Soap Opera Digest was because the fans loved this character so much and they supported me in creating uh, this character in that way. So thank you to them and keep buying my ceramics. Well, Rena, we thank you so much for everything today for, first of all, the cooperation you've given us over the years and just for all the stories you share today. And we will miss you and thank you. hopefully have a reason to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Rena Sofer for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.